What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is the rascal himself, Felix Cavalieri. Felix Great to have you here. It's great to see you. Great to see you. It's been a while. Just before we started, we were talking about the pronunciation of your last name. Yes. And, you know, many Anglo people will say Cavalier. You say Cavalieri. You were talking about the Italianate version. You were talking about John Sebastian getting you in trouble. Tell us a little bit more there. Well, what I was saying is John Sebastian, you know, his, his, his real name is, is Italian. His last name is Pugliese. And he speaks fluent fluent Italian. So we did a TV show back called Deja Vu. Okay. And he announced me the correct way, Cavalieri. Well, I have enough trouble. I live down in Nashville. You know what I mean? Nashville, they stop at Cav. They don't even <laughs> try the rest. Felix, Cav, it's, it's not that hard. So, you know, as I say, I, I'm proud of my heritage, as most of us are. And, you know, yeah, most people, some people change their name. I never wanted to change my name. So how does a New York boy end up living in Nashville? Came down here on work. Came down here many years ago. And uh, the first thing that happened is I started to see musicians that I knew. Steppenwolf, Bobby Gordio came down here later. I mean, it was amazing. Two of Bruce Springsteen's guys were here. One of no longer with us, Danny, you know, but uh, I said, what's going on down here? And they said, well, you know, man, this is the place. This is where you want to be for writing and for music. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no, this is true. That's why we're all here. Well, it is Music City, and there's no doubt about it. Okay, so when did you first come down, and how long have you lived there permanently? I got here 88 uh, on a permanent basis. When I first came down, uh, I was on uh, what they call the Caravan of Stars, Dick Clark tour in 1967, uh, six, And I, I, I remember working here in the daytime. And it was the hottest place I've ever been in my life because we worked in the afternoon. Never dreamt that I would be, I'd be living here. 
But it's an interesting place, for, especially for musicians and also for bachelorettes. We are the bachelorette capital of the USA. Yeah, you know, I read about that. Why is that? Why is that? Because these people down here had an idea. They built a two million square foot convention center. And they, um, they attracted, you know, the people that they wanted to come in, the conventioneers, the companies, the corporations. And uh, one of them <laughs> that they were interested was the bachelorettes. So they're here. And I think the word is oi, oi, what, vey? Oh, my God. It's, it's crazy. I mean, they, you know, they come down here just like, you know, you can imagine at a, at, a, at a bachelor party what happens, only they do this on the street in the open. They have these little, these little carts that go around where they get loaded during the afternoon and clog the streets up. And it, it's very interesting. Okay, so you came there in 88. Right. I certainly remember in the 60s and 70s when the South was perceived as redneck and Republican. <laughs> Since you've been there, what is the change you've seen in, you know, 30-odd years? Well, you know, the interesting thing is this. I mean, obviously, it's still a red state. However, there, there, there are patches, like, for example, the city of Nashville, where so many of us have moved in that it's kind of like purple now. You know what I mean? It's not red anymore. So, of course, they're going to change that instantly. I mean, they're going to redistrict and they're going to – but, I mean, it's interesting because in the city of uh, – uh, Nashville, you know, they have a Democrat, they had a Democratic uh, uh, administration. But in the rest of the state, no. But I mean, like I say, it's just really interesting because we're living down south. I'm living down south. So you go back, you're talking about the Dick Clark caravan of stars. Who else was on that tour and what was that like? Well, I'll tell you, Paul Revere and the Raiders, my dear friend BJ, BJ Thomas, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, it, it was so much fun. I mean, those days are so different from now. You know, I mean, uh, we we um, we uh, uh, instead of being on the bus uh, where everyone else is, we rented one of those RVs. You know, and we just you know toured. And so when the bus went to the show, we said, "Well, we're right with you." You know, we take a little detour and go down and see some of the sights. You know, I, I mean, I met my first wife on that tour. I mean, it, it was just you know we went to towns and cities that I never had heard of, you know, in my life, you know, and, you know, in Kentucky and in Georgia and in Alabama. And, you know, we cemented a relationship down here with the, the audience because you know how they love soul music, R&B, and basically, you know, we were a, a white R&B band. So we, we've always had a, a, a good connection uh, with the South. Okay, so who else was on that tour and where were you? Were you the headliner or was somebody else the headliner? No, I, I, I don't know headliner. I just know, you know, we, we were coming up. We were, you know, we, we had just had a couple of records hit, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, BJ was there. Paul Revere was there, you know, and uh, Mark Lindsay was there, uh, you know, of course, with them. Uh, and, and and I don't remember any of the other ones, but boy, I tell you, it was it was a lot of fun. So how'd you meet your wife, your first wife? Well, it's, uh, it's just one of those things where somebody good looking comes to the show and you know you hook up i mean it's it's very simple when you when you're young and you know ready to rock and roll you know it was really it was really it was really great well, well let's start with the first question yeah because now there's smartphone cameras and it's changed going on the road completely oh yes but for decades before that young men went on the road 
did a lot of drugs, <laughs> screwed a lot of women. What was your experience? Because you were at the beginning of it. Oh, you know, I, I always remember Eddie Murphy when he started talking about, like, you know, in his day, he could do these things without, you know, exploding. I don't know if you remember that bit he did. Uh, it was very, it was wide open in those days. You know, the, the, uh, summer of love so to speak that we talk about i mean i mentioned that all the time it was really uh very very open in terms of you know like relationships with women of course and with you know like you know, of course the drug situation but it was all kind of like in the beginning it was very innocent you know, and and so I mean, seriously, I mean, I remember working in California when we first went to California. We worked at the uh, the Whiskey a Go Go, and there was a little place, probably still there, called the Tropicana Motel, which is all we could afford. Actually, no, they they tore it down with Duke's Coffee. You know, yes, legendary yeah. place, but they finally tore it down. And you know, the point I was trying to make is that in the evening. When the sun goes down, there would be a knock on the door, and there would be sometimes this lovely lady coming over and saying, can I stay here? I got no place to stay. And, you know, like you're saying to yourself, am I dreaming? You know, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I must be dreaming. But nowadays, you wouldn't even open the door. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it would be, well, let's see. Now, what do you want with me, huh? What are, what are you thinking here? Oh, my God. It was so different, you know, and, you know, less legendary, you know, when they did the Altamont, uh, you know, and the drugs started to become more serious and more, more deadly, more dangerous, then of course the 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 the, the kind of naivete just kind of disappeared. You know, it went away, and you know, it stayed away. So did you let the girl in? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's also talk about drugs, because at first you were innocent. What was your career in? shall we say, illegal drugs. Well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of us uh, emulate people that we admire, you know, and with all due respect, people that I admire were doing drugs. Uh, for example, Ray Charles. Uh, so I was in the impression that, you know, wow, if, if you want to be Ray Charles, you got you to do some things, you know. And uh, what started off as an innocent kind of like uh, interest, you know, got to a point where it, it might be dangerous. And, and then... Uh, uh, as I say in you know in my in my book, I, I joined uh, Joey D and the Starlighters, and uh, Joey D's band. They were a lot older than I was. I mean, they were obviously more mature and more into the. So when they started, you know, getting me involved with, let's say, marijuana. I couldn't find my feet. I couldn't tie my shoes. It was, it was, I mean, it was like a different thing, you know. Uh, it was strong. And, uh, you know, in those days, people were really, really careful about even leaving a little seed around, you know, because it was so illegal. You know, now you, you go to the store and you, you'll buy it. But fortunately, you know, I, I got off that ship when I met my Guru, when I met my Swami, Satchidananda, uh, I realized, uh-uh, this is not going to work. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting because you go through, uh, I'm sure a lot of the people know out the transition between, can I go on stage straight and be good? You're darn right you can, but you don't know that because you have these crutches, you know. So it was an interesting, you know, it was, it was a learning experience for, for me and I'm sure for a lot of people. Did you do anything more significant than marijuana and hash, cocaine, heroin? Well, you know, uh, in those days, uh, you know, we would go to, for example, uh, San Francisco, and some of these people say, hey, man, I just made this. You want to try it? Now I'm high for three days. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> so, but you know, yeah, we, I, I really did because I don't know if people understand the experimenting stage that a lot of us in the sixties were, you know, we were fearless. Most, most young people are fearless, you know, and, uh, uh, we just wanted to explore the universe, you know, explore the cosmic uh, kind of like uh, air up there. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't do it again. I mean, honestly. But, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid, so I tried it, tried things. You know, nothing really, I never got, I, I never liked being sad or down. So I never did any of those things. Okay, so then the question becomes writing. Were drugs beneficial, irrelevant, inspirational? I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know. I, I think that, you know, as I say, when, when you try to do things without any kind of like stimulus, you know, like Edgar Allan Poe, I mean, you know, classic, you know, what he did, you know, probably was cocaine, if I'm not mistaken, to write. It's not necessary to do that. The whole thing, you know, basically when, when people create is they, they get into a, a, a place that's it's sort of like a meditative state, it's sort of like a dreamlike state, uh, which if you can induce without, you know, ex external, you know, or internal stimulus, you can do the same thing. But a lot of people, they can't stop, you know, the so-called monkey mind, you know, so they need something to chill, you know, something to get to that place. Fortunately, I've, I've always been able to get to that place because as a young boy, um, uh, you know, I was studying uh, classical piano and I, and I had, you know, a piano in my home and, 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 and I used to just go there and sit and and I could escape into this place that I'm talking about where creativity exists. You know, it's right here. It's just before you go to sleep, there's a kind of a place you kind of float around a little bit. If you can get there, you can get there by meditation. Uh, it's really interesting because I remember as a little boy, uh, you know, I, I, I always have a thing now because, you know, sometimes we have to do these shows in the round. I never liked anybody behind me while I'm in my trance because my dad, rest his soul, you know, he was a very conservative guy. He was a dentist, you know, and he would not realize that I was on another planet when I was playing the piano. And he would go, oh, are you ready to eat? And, oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> hello. You know, uh, no. So, uh, you know, it, it, as I say, I don't really think you need drugs to do anything. Okay, you have a new book. Memoir of a Rascal. What's the backstory? Why a book now? Okay. 2013, Steve Van Zandt, matter of fact, the last time I saw he was in those, uh, wanted us to do a uh, kind of like a Broadway show. So he took a title of uh, one of our albums, Once Upon a Dream. And uh, we, we embarked on this, whatever you want to call it, magical mystery tour. And uh, during this process, there was a, a number of uh, press conferences. So, okay, so the four of us were sitting at, you know, and just, you know, the, the press would ask questions. And I noticed everyone had a different answer for the same question. And I started to say, wait a second. Do you think really that the Pearl Harbor happened or is it somebody that just was there that said it? You know, I mean, you, you say, wait a second, I was there. That's not what I remember. Maybe I should write a book and just kind of like say my story. That, that's how it started. Okay, but the other thing in the book, you give a lot of credit to your new manager, Obi. Yeah. So tell us about him in your relationship with him. Okay, so here's the situation with my, we call him Obi, Obi, Obi Steinman. He's in his 50s. So here's the, here's, here's the rub. 
And, and if he was only born when we were rascals, <laughs> if he was only born, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you, you know more than everything. I, re I read your stuff all the time. Uh, it's the music business. It's not the music music. Most of us are musicians. We're not businessmen. If you have that link to the business world, you've got a really good chance of having a career that's successful. If you don't have that, it's very, very difficult to, especially in today's modern world where marketing, you know, you take a person like Garth, Garth Brooks. I mean, he was a marketing major. Look what he did. I mean, Mazel tov, what can you say? I mean, are you kidding me? That's brilliant. We never really had that type of uh, acumen in in the business department, in our in our uh, management. With all due respect to Sid Bernstein and and, and his ilk, uh, they, they weren't, uh, you know, like, um, they weren't aware uh, of what we needed to do. The, 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 uh, the, in those days, there were these columnists like Walter Winchell and just some of these other people that had, you know, in the New York Post and stuff like that. Ed Sullivan was one of those people. That's how you got your advertisement. You know, this is pre-MT. TV. This is prehistoric, you know. So Abby came in with all the new uh, ideas, uh, you know, just as, a, as, as an idea, uh, you know, like, for example, we do a concert, you know, we do a live show. I go out with Felix Cavalieri's Rascals. Um, I advertise my own shows. Now, we never even dreamt of that in the old days because the promoter would do that. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. So we kind of, you know, we, 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 we buy ads or we do podcasts or we do radio interviews to bring people to fill the seats. Because if you fill the seats, you go back. And if you don't, next. You know, it's so different today. I mean, it's just amazing, you know. Okay. So the book is very good because it's not about nuts and bolts. It's more about the experience. But in the experience, not everybody looks good. Were you anxious about writing some of that stuff? Did you contact people and say, hey, I'm going to write this? What do you think? Well, I think the word is yes. We were. I was very anxious. I, I've had, un unfortunately, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, disappointment with my old band members. Uh, that's the nicest word that I can think of uh, in terms of the way they have behaved after, you know, the group broke up. Um you know, I, I mean, it's just sad, you know, really, when you go backwards. So I, I was obviously very, very careful not to say anything that would ruffle feathers of people who, you know, I, I really loved. I mean, I, I just am uh, disappointed in their actions. But we were brothers, you know, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, I'm wondering if uh, if it's Mr. Putin's ego that's destroying this, this planet, you know, because it certainly... I, I believe so. Well, that's what destroyed us. The same thing, you know. So I have to be very careful of that because, you know, the lawyers are making a lot of money these days. <laughs> okay, so did you have a pre-existing relationship with Stephen Van Zant, or did he just track you down and say, I have an idea? Yes and no. I mean, basically, I was in touch with Steve. Uh, you know, uh, my, my drummer, uh, Dino Donnelly, uh, was part of his, uh, his Disciples of Soul. I think I did a couple of sessions for his albums. So I kind of knew of him and about him, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the real uh, kind of uh, link came when uh, we were uh, uh, brought into the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, basically for those that don't know that story, you know, the Hall of Fame, how it works is uh, there's a nominating committee. 
that if you're not on the in the nominations, obviously there's no way you can get in. I mean, we all, we meaning the uh, inductees, we vote for the you know the next year's uh, 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 induct inductions, but we don't nominate. So the people who nominate are really, really important. Steve was one of those people that put our name in front of the panel all the time. There were a few others too, and and I'm proud to mention them. I mean, Phil Phil Spector was a Big help to us. Frankie Valli, big help to us. Dion DiMucci, big help to us. A lot of people really put our names on the committee. So when Steve did, basically, um, this is the interesting part, is he wanted to do the introduction, the in induction ceremony. And I don't know if you saw that, but it was classic. I did see it, yeah. It, it was classic. And, and, and as you know, uh, that's how he got the part in The Sopranos. He was contacted because it was really brilliant. And he told me later, he said, I had another half hour, but I was embarrassed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. So how did it end up being the stage show, Once Upon a Dream? Yeah, oh, God, I'm, I'm losing track of time. But many years later, around 2.13, around 2.12, I mean, it's really very interesting uh, how, you know, how God works, you know, because it's so, it's just, I got a call from one of my daughters, you know, rest her soul. She says, Dad, don't get excited. I got a little lump in my breast. I said, oh, my goodness. Ay, ah, ah. What can you say? Not even, not even the next hour, maybe the next three hours, I get a call from Steve Van Zandt out of the blue. Bruce and I do this Kristen Carr Cancer Research Concert every year. Would you be interested in reuniting the rascals to do that? What could I say? I, I mean, I hadn't seen these guys since, you know, 1997 with the Hall of Fame, which is, this is like, you know, ten, not, not, not quite 10, but whatever it was, more than that, years. I said, yes. You know, and, and uh, so we went to, um, uh, what's his name's club down there? Uh, 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 I can't remember, down in, down, down in uh, uh, Alec Baldwin's place, I guess. You know, oh, no, not Alec Baldwin, I'm sorry. It was, it was uh, Robert De Niro's place, excuse me. And uh, we did a concert down there. We did a show down there. It was $5,000 a ticket. It was all for cancer. And obviously, I met a lot of doctors and a lot of people who could help my kid, kept my daughter, you know. So that was the beginning. And then, as fate would have it, you know, everybody said, hey, you guys want to do this again? You want to do something? And I, now I knew I was in trouble. You know, <laughs> now I knew. It's kind of like you know, if you get a divorce, you know, and somebody says, "Hey, would you would you like to go back with your ex?" And I said, "Not really." <laughs> you know, well, why don't you try? You guys were so good together. I said, "Yeah, okay," but you see the scar. Oh, anyway, so <laughs> that's how it happened. And and then the 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 rest was kind of like a snowball going down a hill, you know, because. Yeah, you guys were good. You know, we were good. Uh, that was good. Uh, why don't we? And we started. They started talking, and bringing up ideas, and that's that's when life really comes becomes complicated. Because, you know, I, I mean, I understand why people. I mean, I remember my my manager, the old days, Sid Bernstein, used to get in trouble all the time trying to reunite the Beatles. We want to put the Beatles together? <laughs> we don't want to be together. We don't want to be together. <laughs> but there's a there's a desire for people to see the people that they loved up on stage again, you know? And, and so that's how it happened. It kind of like snowballed. Lucky. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Well, how did it become a Broadway show, a whole production as opposed to just a concert? I think, you know, Steve had an idea besides just doing a uh, 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 a show like a so-called, you know, concert to uh, include a, a, a kind of another dy- dimension uh, in, in terms of lights. Uh, and because he had this this gentleman who, uh, Mark Brittman, who, who did this phenomenal light show. He did the Empire State. He's doing the Empire State Building as we speak. So he had done uh, lights for Bruce, and I think he did U2 or somebody. He, he did uh, maybe Pink Floyd. He was good, really good. So that was the idea is to make the whole theater into like a light universe, you know. And then he uh, wanted to do a video, and the video was, was, was to be a story, so I think in his mind, in the beginning, he had always this this concept to do a, a, a Broadway show or a show. Uh, you know, I mean, Jersey Boys certainly, you know, was quite effective. You know, so uh, I think that was was in his mind. And and basically, what happened is we sat down, and um, uh, he had ri- originally written a story, and I said, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland has already been done. There's none of this story that's real. So, you know, let me tell you 
what happened. And he did that with each of us. And I think what happened is he put together like a script, you know, and, and that's how that happened. What was your viewpoint on that? And in addition, you know, it started off in New York, then went on the road and he was funding it and it wasn't profitable. You know, uh, I, I, I really I can only go by the critics, you know, what they said of it. You know, my, my view of it is, um, is, is entirely different. You know, sometimes when you go on stage, you know, we, we have, um, we, sometimes, you know, we have two, two places where sound is, is, is exuded from, you know, one is the, the audience, they, they hear what we're projecting, but we also hear in our own monitors, like these headphones, what we sound like on stage. And, you know, you come to realize that unless you're in the Bruce, you know, Bruce or U2 category, Billy Joel category, you may not hear on stage what you'd like to hear. However, you're not playing for yourself, you're playing for the audience. So my views of what's good and what's not good are a little, you know, they're a little little biased because I, I, I did not like the structures. See, I, I, I like to be a free Free agent. I mean, I, I don't like being tied down to where you got 30 seconds and then a commercial starts or, you know, 15 seconds and then, you know, the drums come in. I, I don't like that. I like more of a jazz, you know, um, you know, for example, when I first was learning music, uh, uh, my mom rest her, so she wanted me to be a classical pianist. So I would sit down with the, with the piano and I'd sit down with the music and, and I'd play and the, the teacher had a ruler in those days. You know, this is when you could beat up your clients, your, you know, your students. And bam, she hit me in the hand. What are you doing? She says, well, that's not how it's written. Oh, in other words, like I can't do that. In other words, you can't put the left hand down before the right hand because it makes an echo. Oh, you can't do that. It makes an echo. It sounds cool. You can't do it. That's not how he wanted it. That's the way I felt. I felt very restricted. Because it was, you know, it was all timed. You know, I, I, when, when I get an idea, you know, I, I like to, you know, do it. You know, and I think the audience, you know, everybody says to us all the time, hey, how can you do those songs over and over and over and over and over and over? Well, I can do them over and over because I, I, I'm creating as I'm doing them. We're making new things happen. Maybe they're very nuanced and very small, but they're there. Well, anyway, I felt very restricted. So how did it end? And in the book, you talk about trying to put it together without all the production, and that doesn't come together. So tie those stories. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it, it ended uh, when we got a, uh, like a kind of like an email. It used to be a telegram, remember? But uh, it said, guess what? The show is over. And it, just, it was on my birthday, as a matter of fact. You know, it was November 29th, and all of a sudden it's done. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why things don't uh, make money. Um, none of them were the rascal's fault. That's the nicest way I can say that. Okay, and why couldn't you reunite the band? Well, the band was already united. Why couldn't you convince everybody to go out just as the rascal? Well, you know, that that's really the interesting thing, you know, because... Uh, you know, uh, there's a chapter in the book where one of, one of my dear friends who, who uh, I grew up with uh, said, we're the stupidest rock and roll band in the world. You know, most people who don't have a lot of money and somebody offers them a lot of money, they go and try to get a lot of money. <laughs> you know, like, you know, the, the stories about, you know, the Eagles, you know, and, you know, how they, you know, how Irving keeps them together, you know, and, and they're making zillions, you know. My guys don't think like that. As a matter of fact, my guys don't think. So I couldn't do it. 
I could not reunite or reconvene uh, because, you know, the Stones, do they get along? Who cares? They play great together and they go home. You know what I'm saying? I, I could not do that. I could not get these guys to say, hey, look, you know, the clock's ticking. You know what I'm saying? We, we are not going to be able to do this much longer. And, and now, unfortunately, that, that is definitely the case. There's a lot of illness. Why don't we do it and just do it and, you know, satisfy not only our fans, which, you know, they're begging us to do this, but, uh, you know, let's just put a closure on it. You know, let's, let's, let's get, oh, and by the way, let's make a little money. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing, a friend of mine wrote a song called, it's not the money, it's the money. Oh yeah, famous music business expression. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, is, is something wrong with that? I, I couldn't do it. So, you know, I tried, and a lot of other people have tried. A lot of people, famous people. You know, Shelley Finkel, Jim Koplick, you know, uh, you know, important promoters, powerful people. Uh, Abby, Abby Steinman. Uh, you know, uh, you, you just can't explain it. Okay, you're talking as if you're the driving force and leader of the band. When the band broke to the general public, Eddie was the front man. But he didn't sing all the songs in addition, then you started composing songs, and as time evolved, you had an equal, if not more, dominant face. But my question is more simplistic. Were you always the leader of the band and driving force, or did that evolve over time? Yes. Simple as that. I started the band. I was the only one that had transportation to take the equipment. I was the only one who kept the books. I was the only one that paid the bills. Yes. I had the idea. I wanted it to happen. But, you know, it's so interesting because I was a communist. And I didn't realize that communism only works in heaven. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> work on earth. You know, I, I just, you know, I said, man, I, I just want to get a bunch of guys that really sing and play well together, man. And they, you know, they're really talented, man. Now let's go out and conquer the world that's why i always wanted brothers i never had a brother you know if i had a, a bg family forget about it we take over the planet so you know I, I i just put them together like that and 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 i and i and i had a vision i had a sound vision you know and and uh, you know it really was a wake-up call to me to see you know other people and how they you know, I, I mean, for example, you know, when you would do interviews in the old days and they would ask each of us, you know, the teen magazine, well, what did you want to be when you, you know, grow up? Did you have any plans? And I was shocked to hear the plans that these guys had <laughs> because in many cases they had no plans, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, oh, okay, so, hmm, ambition, desire, you know. Well, you know, I had I had the desire and the ambition and, and thank Lord I had the talent. So I... I, I wanted it to happen. But I never really cared, you know, about whether, you know, I'm in the front of the band. I'm, I'm taking care of the music back here, man. I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing great, you know. But uh, Eddie kind of fizzled out, you know. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't look at it like that. He, he, um, you know, he just kind of felt like, wow, I want to go home. I said, well, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean you want to go home? I don't really want to go on the road too much. What? You have more fun than all of us put together. You know, he was the wildest man in the world, you know, at that time. I mean, you know, the road managers would come up to me at the end of the night and say, please, send someone out after the show with him. I've got to get some rest, you know. And here he wanted to go home. He just wanted to be around his, uh, his folks all the time. 
Very interesting story. I, I mean, uh, if I may just, uh, you know, it, when the uh, Buddy Holly tragedy happened, you know, and, and all those people, uh, that was the same plane that um, Joey D and the Starlighters, not, I don't know if it was a week or two before, were on. You know what I mean? So his brother, David, Eddie's brother, David, that was it. Fear of flying. You know, we don't want to get on airplanes. Oh, well, that's fun. How are we going to do Hawaii? If we, you know, what are we, The ocean line will take us two months to get. No, I, I think so. All, all of these things came into, you know, the music part of our lives and the creative part of our lives was only, you know, that. It wasn't like their individual personalities. I didn't know anything about these guys. We, we weren't, didn't grow up together or anything like that, you know. So when you see, you know, people's, uh, you know, life stories, totally different from mine. You know, totally different, and and I think that's that's the that's the problem. Would it have happened with three completely different guys? You know, I don't think so. I, I think there's a special thing about groups. I, I always felt that way, and you know, when we did the Broadway show, it was perfect example. For some reason, you know, I use the word God, I use whatever word you want, puts together certain individuals that have a special simpatico together, a special magic together. Because during that 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 time when we did that Broadway show, it started off pretty rough because a lot of the, uh, uh, like Dino, for example, uh, really hadn't been playing. You know, his chops were all, they were not, they're not there. Eddie hadn't been singing, so there was no, but after a while, the magic came in. So in answer to your question, I don't think it would have happened with other people. You never know. Once the band broke up the early 70s, until you reunite and do this thing with Steve Van Zandt in 2013, how much contact did you have with the other members? <laughs> Across from the litigation table. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was not, not a pleasant experience. Yeah, no, we really didn't have much contact. I tried to uh, uh, reinvent the, uh, the, uh, the writing team myself and Eddie, many times over the years because I said, we don't have to work. We don't have to go on the road. We don't have to even sing, but we can certainly write. Why don't we do that? You know, and I really was uh, unable to do that as well. You know, so we just separated. We did a tour in 1988 without Eddie. We did a, a we did a, that wonderful Atlantic reunion. Uh, was it 40 year anniversary? Yeah. Oh, which was just Oh, man, that was so much fun. Oh, my God. I mean, here you are with all these these groups, you know, that are in one place at one time. That that was a lot, a lot of fun. Eddie didn't do that either. See, he didn't do it, you know. And so we didn't really have much contact. When we got to the Hall of Fame evening, it was unfortunate that that wasn't a real, you know, pleasant experience either. You know, I mean, uh, it should have been, you know. But um, there's just so much, you know. It's just really difficult to discuss. You talk about the litigation. What was all the litigation about? Wow. Well, you know, um, well, right now, I mean, the name, uh, the name, uh, the name, the situation. You know, I was on the impression when you leave a band and you, you, know, you don't want to use the name that somebody else should be able to use the name. But I guess people don't think like that. You know, uh, a, a lot of things, there's a lot of just misunderstandings, you know, that, you know, without going into detail, because I purposely left that out of the book because who cares? You know, I mean, well, what's the problem? You know, I noticed some people like, for example, you know, uh, like, for example, Mr. Putin, I think he has a, a, an idea that these countries that have become free and independent really belong to the Soviet Union that was dissolved. He's wrong. But 
try to tell somebody that. And then that somebody goes to an attorney and talks the attorney into saying, well, how about if we see if this is viable? You know, and in England, you know, if you if you if you uh, sue uh, and and it doesn't doesn't happen, you pay you know you pay the the the, the, the what you were looking for plus the legal fees. But in America, ah, bring it on, man! Don't worry about it. We got you covered. Just pay the pay pay the lawyers, and you know it's just it's sad. You know they they call them frivolous suits. So there you go. Okay, one statement that really sticks out in your book is that you sold the publishing. Yeah. Was it like Creedence Clearwater Revival where you sold 100%? Yeah. Or just the ownership share and retained the writer's share? What was going on there? Well, we retained the writer's share, but you know, the, the tragedy was, uh, you know, and again, in 1970, approximately two, uh, Eddie Brigatti decided to abandon ship. Actually, it was in 1970. We were free agents. We had five years with um, Atlantic. And uh, I say this in the book as well, that uh, uh, Atlantic didn't want to re-sign the, the Rascals. They, they wanted to re-sign me. But they didn't want... The, 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 the Rascals were a little bit too uh, out of control in terms of, uh, you know, like direction and, you know, like continuity. And, you know, the output was, was not there because, you know, people weren't, weren't doing their jobs. So uh, we went to Columbia, and it was a major step because, you know, Clive Davis was over there, and, uh, you know, Columbia, and, and I digress, but, I mean, you know, Co Columbia was always an international label, whereas Atlantic in the early days was not. You know, in Atlantic, we had a different record company in every in every country of the world, and it was uh, you know you got you got twenty people stealing from you instead of one. You know, but I mean the interesting thing is that when Zeppelin came along, you know, uh, at that time Atlantic merged with Warner Brothers, so now there was one label. So when you put out a, a, a Warner Brothers or an Atlantic product, it became internationally the single or the album we didn't have that you know we had a, and so basically we were just a little bit before the international you know i mean uh, the platinum records were just starting you know cream i think had the first platinum album and you know uh so you know it, it was a major major difference you know so um you know as i say you know you just try to continue but what happened at that time when eddie decided to leave is that the you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's the same as a divorce. It's the same as a corporation just dissolving, you know. Now the, the, the legal issues come up where you got to divide, the, you know, divide everything. And this is yours. This is your microphone, you know, all that kind of stuff, the stock. Well, for some reason, and, and again, you know, this is where it gets a little, little, little gray because, you know, I was still, you know, I was in my late 20s, you know, and I hadn't really developed much negativity to the world. You know, I was kind of like, you know, still in la-la land as far as like, man, this is the coolest thing. I enjoyed myself so much. I mean, I don't care how many arguments we had. That was ha having a band and being successful and being on the road. That was really fun, man. It was really a dream come true. And you like my music? Oh, you want to hear my, are you kidding me? What more could I possibly ask? Oh, 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 the sun isn't shining every day. Oh, but that didn't hit me. So when people within our group uh, of advisors came up with an idea to sell the publishing. It was also met with Brigatti wanting to 
cash in, you know, all of his chips and just wash his hands of the whole thing. Terrible decision. As a matter of fact, there was a gentleman by the name of Wes Farrell who's no longer with us. Wes Farrell had a an artist uh, that wanted to record our song, one of our songs, How Can I Be Sure? David Cassidy, you know, who was a major rascal fan, by the way. And anyway, that that predicated the sale, and it was a total mistake, you know. And 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 it was so sad because the only the only people who who did not want it to happen were not invited to the meeting to the t- transaction. And, and you know, uh, as a young man, uh, you know, you, you, especially being you know Italian Italian man, you kind of say, what "The hell with these guys! The heck with it! Take it, go." You don't realize what are you saying, man? You know what I mean? This is a bad move. I mean, especially when you see the people now who are, you know, really cashing in their chips on the publishing. Because we always were told that the publishing was the manner of our industry, the songs. That's that's really where it's at. You know, I mean, ask Mr. McCartney. You know, I mean, he, he, he when he gets a record deal, he doesn't take money. He doesn't want need money. He takes publishing. You know, he owns all of the songs that you hear when you go to a football game. He owns the whole halftime. You know, he owns Frank Music. You know, very, 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 very smart because that used to be, and I hope it still is, where the, where the real money was, you know. So that was a, a, a bad mistake on our part. Okay, but you retained your writer's share. Yeah. Has that writer's share been enough to keep you in good financial stead over the decades? Well, to a degree, yes. But I mean, I, I had to put, uh, you know, four young people through college and one through grad school. So, you know, need a little supplement there once in a while, you know. And uh, But yeah, I, I've got no complaint. I mean, you know, I, I, I've had good advice my, my whole life. You know, uh, as I say, you know, I, I came from a, a so-called middle-class family. So I had a kind of a high bar to achieve to, you know, try to get to where my, my family was and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I really have no complaints. I mean, you, you make good decisions, you make bad decisions. You know, I mean, that, that to me was a tragic decision because, you know, it just just was a mistake. What about record royalties? Mm-hmm. They were historically low when you started. Atlantic was not famous for paying them. What's been your experience? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, we we really don't know. Uh, you know the answer to that because we'll never know. You know, in those days they had a different uh, way. They they used the vinyl. You know, and basically they had this uh, sort of accounting uh, mechanism where, you know, let's say. Um, you print up uh, uh, 15,000 promotional copies. Well, you can't get paid on those. Those are promotional. So that promotional part of the equation was very interesting how that fluctuated. You know, it might have fluctuated that way. But, you know, we sold two. No, 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 no. But uh, those were promotional. Oh, I see. Okay. I got you. We'll never know. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're able to do audits every five years. And, you know... The tragedy of the situation, they can't even agree on doing an audit. So it's just, bye-bye, we'll see you, money. <laughs> Are they still calculating your royalties at the low 60s rate? Uh, pretty much, sure. We never really renegotiated. We should have. And so is there any money there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's something, you know, obviously there's, there's something there. It's, it depends on your lifestyle, of course, you know, but uh, there's still money there. You know, fortunately, you know, we still have audience out there and, 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 you know, there's so many variables to that. Now, you know, when the radio stations started to kind of de-emphasize 60s, 
and 70s. And now you know, as, the, as the demographic changes, you know, they get up more towards like, they, well, okay, now we don't have that, that, that advertisement, which is really all the radio play is. It's an advertisement, you know. Uh, well, I go on the road, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, that's so, to a degree is an advertisement, you know what I'm saying? And we do podcasts and, you know, things like this. Keep our music alive because if you can't hear it, you know, a lot, a lot of these people were not even born. You know, I mean, I, I say that in my show when I do uh, my closing song, which is Good Love. And I say, hey, we'd like you to sing along, but here's the rules. If you weren't born, you don't have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility Dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, you're going out on the road with Nikki Dolans. How did that come together? Uh, I, I think that came as as more of like an agency management managerial decision. You know, like uh, you look for pairings. You know, of people that get along, and and I think our musics, you know, kind of 
they 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 invoke this kind of real happiness, you know what I mean? Because you know, there's not, not a really a lot of like you know bad stuff in those songs, as far as like you know, we've had enough of COVID and we've had enough of uh, of 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 you know heartbreak, and we certainly lose losing and have lost a lot of people. I, I think a happy tour, you know. Uh, much like, you know, my, my turtle friends do, is not a bad idea. And I think the music would go together. He's a good guy. I, I've known him and, and the other fellows for years. And uh, it's hard keeping a straight face around him because he's really funny. You know, I only know him a little bit, but I just can never get over the fact that he was in Circus Boy. <laughs> and then suddenly he was, say, you know, a monkey. So that's the same guy. Yeah. But uh, let's go back to the beginning. So... You grew up in Pelham? What was Pelham like then? Oh, it was a beautiful suburb. I used to say, look, you know, I've got over here, I've got Mount Vernon, I've got Nourishell over there, Yonkers. I can get beat up within five miles, but right here I'm safe. <laughs> you know, it was a great town with a great, great education system. My parents moved there, although they couldn't afford it, because they wanted us really to have an excellent education, and that, that worked. And your parents, were they born in America, born in the old country? They were born in No, they, they were second second generations, yes. Okay. And your father was a dentist and your mother, what did she do? Pharmacist. Pharmacist. So they were both working outside the home? Well, you know, he was. Uh, when she started having us, you know, I, I think she stopped. But I mean, it, 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 my, my mom's family, you know, very, very interesting family as far as like their uh, kind of... Uh, you know, they were all doctors and, you know, real, really kind of important people in the medical field. You know, they, they were quite a family. And, and my dad's family, my dad came up uh, from, uh, you know, a family that basically were, my, his father was a barber. You know, the good thing is that he was a Wall Street barber. So when he got a tip, it was a real good one, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it was really uh, interesting because of the fact that, you know, there was a certain intellect you know, around the house that I always appreciated, you know, and uh, uh, when I went out into the real world and I realized it's a little different out here, you know, so I, I really had a, a, an excellent childhood. Okay, so you said you had no brothers. Sister. Sisters? I have a sister, yeah. Older or younger? She's young, she can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up starting at the piano? Oh, my mom. Yeah. For some reason, you know, a lot of people give their kids piano lessons, you know, and for some reason she saw, you know, a talent there, you know, and and so she enrolled me in, in this pretty serious school for a five-year-old, you know, three lessons a week for eight years. And I got an education. I got a musical education. Uh, the 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 uh, you know the the, the the principle was to be a classical pianist, you know, and and I did. I mean, I tried. I went. You know, I did what was told. I went to Carnegie Hall, did my auditions and things like that. And it was just, it was such a different planet. It was just so interesting, you know. And and but I learned music. Okay, did you like music? Oh, I loved it. Oh, absolutely. And did you want to practice? Because remember back in those <laughs> days of piano lessons, getting the kids to practice was the hardest part. Well, that's in the book also. My mom, she used to, you know, we had a, you know, in, in the street and in, 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 in the back where we used to play ball, we had, you know, home plate was the sewer head, you know, you know, so she would come park the car there. Time for class. Mom, you're on the home plate. Time for class. You know, that's the thing, you know, we're very lenient with our kids, you know, and that's a mistake because if she had been lenient with me, I would have never, I would have never learned. I want to go out and play, man. 
you know, we didn't do video games. We went out there and played, man. And were you a popular kid, good student? What kind of kid were you? You know, you're not popular until you start playing music, you know, because I was real little. You know, my friends are all these giants, you know, and like, you know, they're going out for the football team and I, I couldn't make the weight. It had to be 125, you know, so what can I do? Started playing music. Oh, wow. Look at that. A girl. <laughs> it's different. It's really interesting. And how did you end up learning to play the organ? Ah, uh, well, a friend of mine said, uh, there's a club up in New Rochelle, black club. There's a trio in there. You want to go? So we got one problem, man. We're not 16. We're not even able to walk in the freaking building. Don't worry, I got that covered. You know, we got that. And I went in and I saw this organ trio, the Mighty Cravers, an organ playing bass, singing, playing leads, a sax, and a drum. And I said, oh my God, what is that? That's a Hammond organ. Well, that's when the, the Magical Mystery Tour number one started. Hammond organ. How am I going to get a Hammond? Let me check this out. Well, I lived in Westchester, but you know where they sell them? New York, Macy's. So I get on a train, and I go down there, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. Mr. Silverstein is in charge of the music department at Macy's. He says, sure, son, go right in there. That's where the Hammonds are. I have this in the book also, but it was like, okay, I opened the doors, and here are these big machines, you know. What do I do? You can't just sit down and turn it on because it's not that easy. There's a whole situation with a Hammond. There's two switches. Hmm. But he let me be in there, you know, and I, I felt this thing. And then I found out it's $3,000. I said, oh, man, I got a problem. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, sir. You know, all right. Onward. But that started it. So how did you ultimately get an organ? Well, I got a I, I got a smaller one when I went to college. You know, I, it, when I when I went to college, I I kind of you know we would play pianos with microphones sticking in the other side so they'd be amplified and you can keep up with the guitars. You know, but I I I, I got a small uh, uh, Hammond. I think it was called an L L something. Excuse my phone. That's somebody that uh, doesn't know I'm, I'm an important guy. Anyway. <laughs> okay, but as someone who went to all the rock shows in the 60s, et cetera, we used to look at the organ and say, that's a heavy thing to schlep around. Yeah, chiropractors love me, that's for sure. Oh, I, you know, all my patients, yeah, I know, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not made for the road, you know, which is so interesting because, you know, Hammond really, um, I, I think the fellow was like a Thomas Edison type uh, who created that instrument. You know, he did a lot of different inventions. This was one. And I don't think he really ever realized what he had created in terms of a, a musical virtuoso instrument. You know, I really don't think he, they knew, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a great stories there. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody's interested. But, you know, there's, there's a marriage between the Hammond organ and the Leslie Speaker. You know, the Leslie speaker is that box that spins around, you know, and distributes the sound of the top and the bottom throughout the church or room or wherever you happen to be. Uh, well, Hammond didn't create the speaker. This other company named Leslie did. And Hammond company did not want that Leslie speaker anywhere near their organ. 
However, the speaker that they had was kind of like a Fender uh, guitar amp. It, it, it did not, it, it, was, it, didn't, it wasn't good. So it took them years to realize we must coexist. You know, he had no idea they had made this monstrosity of a phenomenal, you know, like instrument, which it still is. Okay, how hard was it to learn? You know, piano is pretty simple. It's got the keys and it's got the strings. But there's so many things, including bass pedals, etc., on an organ. How long did it take you to come up to speed? How long did it take you to ride a bike? Same thing. You got to oh. move you. <laughs> okay. Same thing. Same thing. You know, I mean, yeah, you got to do the, Oh, okay. I, oh, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, when people want to do something, you know, uh, they do it. And, 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 and I, I heard, you know, this Jimmy Smith gentleman. Oh, my God. I said, phew, man. You know, most of the people that, that come from, you know, my years way back when, you know, like the kinks and, you know, all these guys, you know, the, they love what they do, man. You know, I mean, I, I see Rod Argent, these guys, man, they, they, they don't have to go on the road. Ringo's the best example. I mean, what he, need, he, needs to go, he needs to go work. They love it. And if you love it, it's easy. Well, let's stay on that point. You know, you were a king in an era with gods. Did you know all those people? Sure. We had business. We had, you know, 15 people in those days. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was a small business. You know, first of all, look, look there really wasn't a, a big paycheck at the end of those years for most art, artists. You know, I mean, they, they didn't make any money, you know, until, you know, like we started getting to Beetleland and to Zeppeland and to Creamland and the Rolling Stone Land. So you had to be a little bit insane to do this, you know. And second of all, um, you know, it, 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 there wasn't that many people doing it. And, and those of us that were doing it, you know, before, right before our time when Murray the K and, uh, of course, Alan Freed and, and uh, they used to have these shows, they had like 10, 15 acts on the show. You know, I mean, we, we would work with Bo Diddley, man. We would have Patti LaBelle. I mean, they would they'd be on the same stage. You can like, nowadays, it costs you $2,000 to go to that show, you know. But it was different, you know, and Chuck Berry would be there and, you know, it, it was just a, a lot more about music and, you know, they, they couldn't charge. It was like $3, what, $5 to get in? Yeah, let's let's go back to that era. You're obviously a little older than I am, <clears throat> but I certainly remember everybody had a transistor radio. Yeah. By the time I came along, Elvis was kind of in the rearview mirror in the Army, but we had the Beach Boys, we had Frankie Valley, and we had a lot of people who were derided like Fabian and Bobby Rydell. Oh, absolutely. Then all of a sudden the Beatles come, mm -hmm. and the whole thing blows up. But what I find interesting is the people who followed in their wake, certainly immediately, they'd been in the business. They'd been playing music before. So my question to you is, what inspired you? What turned you on? What was it like before the Beatles? Well, Elvis, of course, was there, you know. Elvis was there. Uh, again, you know, this is all in that book, you know, but uh, I was in school, you know, I was a junior, uh, what do you call it, junior high. And this, you know, the alphabet ties, you C-A-V, C-A-L, C-A-L was right in front of me. John, become one of my dear friends. We, we just were joining up because, you know, basically we were all different elementary schools that, that had come to junior high. He says, hey, you like rock and roll? I had no idea what he was talking about. I, I had never heard the word. We were classically 
kind of like, you know, a religion, you know, I don't want you going to those other denominations. You stay right here. And I, I couldn't listen. But I said yes because I didn't want to be like, you know, hey, where did this guy come from? But I went home, turned on this little green box, Webcore, whatever it was, and I heard this guy, Alan Freed, and I heard this guy, Ray Charles, and Jerry Lee Lewis, and I said, oh my God, <laughs> this... Fats Donald, he's playing the piano. That's what I play. Oh, wow. And it just starts you off and you say like, you know, I think I think I could do this. You know, let me try it. You know, well, this whole world opened up, you know, to all of us, not just, I mean, you know, Beatles have the same story coming from the English point of view, from the radio, from pirate radio and all that kind of stuff. It just, uh, it, it just, it, it's just like, well, that's what I do. I play that instrument, but I don't play it like that. Let me see if I can do it. That's how it starts. What point did the dream of making this a career come to you? Well, you know, it really never came to me. And, and you know, basically, I, I, I you know, I, I get a chance to speak at a lot of, uh, you know, I used to speak at Berkeley College of Music when I lived on the East Coast. And, you know, I, t I tell the young people, I said, look, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen. You really don't, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, I tell my story, which is what we're talking about here. I, I was supposed to be pre, I was pre-med. I mean, I was going, you know, the way of my, my, my family, you know, but I had a band up there, you know, I had a group called the Escorts and Lou Reed went to the school at the same time, you know, and Syracuse is a very, very, I mean, it, it was so much fun. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, I used to play for all the athletes. I used to play for the, you know, the, the homecoming. We had a good team. In those days, it was more of a football school. But I played for all the parties. I said, man, you know what? This is really fun. And then another guy, another gentleman from our band, we had, the, you know, fraternities. We had the ZBT, you know, and his father uh, uh, had big connections up in the Catskill Mountains. You said, want to go to the Catskill Mountains for a summer? Yeah, why not? I never went back. I had so much, I, I mean, I was just, I loved it, you know, and here I am, and you know, it, it's all in the, in the book, so to speak, but I, I had no idea that I was going to be a musician. I had absolutely no idea until, you know, it, it just. So tell <laughs> us about hooking up with Joey D and the Starlighters. Yeah, well, again, you know, like what happened is every, every weekend, there would, a headliner would come in. You know, and um, that headliner in, in this case was Joey D and the Starlighters. And that's when my life really, really changed because up until then, I had not that much um, contact with New Jerseyites, you know. And when I met the New Jerseyites, oh my God, oh my God, I, 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 I was introduced to another planet. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's something that, you know, like I'll never forget, you know, the, the first thing that I remember is this gentleman by the name of David Brigatti, who was a member coming into the dressing room and looking at my nose and he says, are you Jewish? I said, <laughs> what? He said, well, I saw that. I didn't know, you know, I said, okay, this is going to be something. They saw me. Uh, I was doing, a, I had to play for the lounges and I had to play for the, you know, I played for the for the for the for the hotel it was the Raleigh up there and uh they went to Europe right after that and their organist had just recently gotten married and didn't want to stay he wanted to go home so they called me and they said would you like to join us in Germany and uh I you know I had to tell my father I said hey you know dad I got this you know maybe I shouldn't go back to the uh 
university. What do you think? <laughs> you know? So, and I went. And I, I went over there and, uh, you know, I, I uh, went into this club that they were, and there was this group opening up for, for, for Joey. And everybody's screaming and hollering and yelling. And I said, the Beatles. The what? Yeah. Wow, what's going on here? Wow, man, Beatles are huge over here. This is before they came to the United States. So what is this? And, you know, long hair. Kids were going, I mean, they were just hysterical. I mean, this was for real. This was not, you know, staged. Or they do it at the Super Bowl. You know, they put the fans up near the stage so they look like they're having fun. But these, these people were gone. And then I, I started listening to the music, you know, and I said, hmm, what I could hear. They're a singing group. You know, they're really not musicians. You know, you couldn't tell the geniuses that were on that stage quite yet. You couldn't even hear them. And 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 I listened to the music, and and I remember vividly the when they did American music. They're right. You know, they have a very different way of syncopation. Their rhythm structure, their rhythm is more, it's it's not as uh, syncopated. It doesn't have like the ends and the 16th notes and stuff. But when they did their music, when they did, I want to hold your hand, love me, do you, just how do your ears just went, what is that? Wow. Man, that's pretty darn cool. You know, little did we know, little did I know, that I was going to do this. Little did I know that the rest of the world was going to find out what I had just heard not too long after that in, in America with Ed Sullivan. So that's when I kind of made this decision. I said, you know what? I could do this. There's nothing that these guys are doing. Little did I know they were total composition geniuses. You know, we didn't know that. I could do this. Let's go. Youth, man, there's nothing like it. How long did you stick with Joey? What was the inspiration for leaving? And then what'd you do? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I came back with Joey. And, you know, that was quite an organization, man, let me tell you. I almost went back to school, you know, because it was so, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you, you look and you, you, they weren't a very sophisticated type of organization. Until I met Frankie Valley. You know, Frank, Frankie Valley was the first kind of person that I met that really had his act together in those days. You know what I mean? He wasn't just out there to party and to have fun. And, you know, he, he, he was out there to succeed. And I saw that, oh, wow, you know, they, hmm, they, they, with all due respect, yeah, there's some smart people out here. I get it. You know, because Frankie was there before Joey, you know, and, and, and Frankie's always been like, a, you know, a, an older brother. You know, he always tells me, cut your hair and, you know, wear a tie. And, you know, that's, 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 that's the way he treats me as a, as a you know, as, as a nephew or something, you know. So, you know, I, I just uh, uh, stayed with Joey for a while. And, and then I took another job, which was out in Las Vegas. And then I got drafted. And, you know, that, that's the real difference between then and now, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you have to remember those days? I mean, I don't believe you can never forget them. You can never forget them. That's also in the book. And I, I tried to be as nice as I could about it. Because, but until, until I was, uh, you know, relieved of my uh, duty, uh, you know, as a mercenary, you know, uh, I, that was the point of starting a group. When I left school, uh, you know, basically I went out into the real world. Um, uh, 
you know, reality sits in. I mean, you know, like, wow, it's nice you have a hotel job, you get paid to eat and sleep, you know, but when you go out into the world and you're trying to make a living as a musician, it's a whole different thing. Why start a band? Until, why, why do anything until I get this draft out of the way? You know, with all due respect, in, in the early days, they were very, 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 uh, you know, they, they were a little bit more careful who they brought in. You know, they, they, they didn't want me. They said, hey, if there's a nuke war, we'll call you. Other than that, you know, you, you can go home. Okay, so you're free of that obligation is it then that you start to put together the rascals? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how'd you do that? Well, basically, you know, I mean, you know, God works in strange ways. You know, he puts people in your life, you know, basically that, you know, like belong there. You know what I mean? There's like this. Well, I was working in, in, in Joey's club because I went back there after, you know, after a while because I need, you know, needed to make a living at the time. And they had a drummer there. Uh, they had a band there that's called the Starlighters. And this time it was Eddie, not his brother. Eddie and and this guy, this this young man from Rochester, New York, Gene Cornish, came in from Rochester, New York. You know, he was trying to make it in 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 the business. He had a group up in Rochester called the Unbeatables. Interesting, you know. And and then he came to New York and he and he hit the wall. You know, the wall of what are you kidding? This is this is whole different world, man. From Rochester, New York, he start, he joined this. Starlighter band, uh, the 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 uh, uh, myself, Eddie, Gene, we had an interesting drummer. We had a young young drummer from Brooklyn at the time, and then and as I say, you know, when when I kind of kind of start putting my plans together, I asked them. I said, "Look, why don't we do our own thing? What do you mean? Why don't we try and make it in the music business?" Interestingly enough, that the the the, uh, the uh, Drummer didn't want to go. He, he got another offer from a group that was kind of like steady work, which I understand. You know, you, 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 got, you got to work. You know, this is all speculative. It still is, always will be. And uh, then again, you know, the, the hand of fate had this woman that said to me, well, I know a better drummer. And I, and, and I, and I say, you know, you're a banker. You, 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 what, do, what do you know? You know, she took me to see this, this this gentleman by the name of Dino Donnelli. I saw him through a window at the Metropole. I saw him do two songs. And I said, oh, my God. Phew. Do you know a guitar player? No, I didn't mean <laughs> So anyway, I just, I couldn't believe this guy. You know, he was like, you know, he was not only playing the drums well, he was doing a show because his life was part of like the Louis Belson, uh, you know, Buddy Rich, uh, you know, people who were, were Lionel Hampton. These were people, basically, they were the leaders of their band in the back of the band as, as a drummer. They, they put on a show besides being in perfect time and doing, I couldn't believe it. So I knew I had the ingredients. You know, let's go try it. Okay, and what were the next steps? How do you get from there to the Hamptons? Well, uh, basically, uh, you know, we, we, we rehearsed uh, at my, my father's home uh, down in the basement area. We had, uh, and we went out to the, uh, to the uh, world to, to get jobs. And we got a few jobs. As a matter of fact, I just did a show down in Florida with one of the, uh, 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 the sons of the first place that we worked. First place we worked was in Garfield, New Jersey at the Choo Choo Club. And this gentleman came to see me. He's like 83 now, you know, and, and uh, he hired us. Uh, he hired me uh, uh, at that time. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, one day, this gentleman comes in from this uh, famous club in New York City called Undine's. No, it wasn't. 
I, I'm not sure if it was on Dean's. I think it was, might have been on Dean's. And his name was Romy Aguirre. And he said, um, I've got an idea. Can I speak to you? And, you know, I said, yeah. Come on, he sat down. He said, I want to open a club in the Hamptons for the summer. We'd like you to be the band. Now, I grew up not too far from the Hamptons, and I realized what was going on, going on over in that part of Long Island. That's where everybody who has anything would like to be this summer. We're going to be fine. Let's take it. Just to be clear, how long after you formed the band does this happen? Six months. No, well, not even six months. We had a deal in six months. It's like two months. We were good, man. We had a good band. I mean, these guys, you know, see, the, the thing is, like, mo most bands have one guy, you know, and that guy is like, you know, he's the head head honcho, you know. I have four guys that either were leaders of their own band. Let me tell you, where, where do you want to look? These guys are good, man. You know, they were really good, you know. And, and, and so when you looked on the stage, you know, like, you said, wow, check. I mean, John Sebastian's got the best story about that. You, you ought to ask him about that. He, I think he, he says it all the time. When, when the Lovers Poonful first came to see the Rascals, they said, boy, we better get to work, man. <laughs> These guys, he did, man. You know, because we were kind of like rivals in those days. He, he was the downtown and we were the uptown, you know. And I love him. He's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. But, you know, yeah, it, it didn't take long because we were good. You know, we were good, and we attracted, you know, crowds. Uh, we had a lot of help. The, the interesting thing about us is that our hometowns, you know, in my case, Pelham, and in Eddie's case, Garfield, they supported us. The, you know, these people would come out to the shows and say, hey, man, you know, I got, I got a great idea. How about if I do this? You know, we had this one, one guy, one kid whose father, you know, when we would work in the early clubs, you know, those big floodlights they put up when you have the, you know, the bazaars. And yeah, sure. Klieg lights. He put them out in front of the place. And, and one day I asked him, I said, Billy, uh, Who's who's paying for this stuff? You know, he put it on his father's credit card. You know? But we had people like really supporting the troop. They really wanted to. Yeah, come on, I got an idea. Let's 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 put posters up on all the stop signs. Oh yeah, that the cops are going to love that. You know, there was a there was a. This is going to happen. You know, which is why you know I get so sad when I when I talk about and speak about the, you know, so-called present tense of, of of the fact that nobody we had a phenomenal base. Our team, well, they were just, they were just great people. You know what I mean? They were people, the families, and you know, it was it was kind of like you know, uh, a collaboration of of a, of, a, of a few towns in America. You know, let's let's make this happen. You know, and and so uh, you know. Uh, it wasn't long at all. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Was the dream to make a living playing live or was the dream to get a record deal? Who knows? I mean, seriously, I, I mean, as I say, you know, there's this joie de vivre, whatever you want to call it, about playing music that, you know, like, you know, a, a lot of us have, you know, some people are able to do it. Some people have to do it after they've, you know, completed their 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 retire retiree fund but i was able to do it so i i never really had i can never really say i had any kind of you know i i just knew i had to do this music after a while you know i could feel it coming through me i gotta do this it has to be done it has to be and let me let me let me get the catharsis of this let me do this i love it so how did you you're playing in the hamptons how did you end up getting a record deal well here here's here's where the, you know we got betty davis coming we got all these big you know record record people coming in and you know phil Spector's coming well what happened basically is is a gentleman by the name of walter hyman who was a textile uh very 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 uh, wealthy man saw us and he said hmm called up his buddy Sid Bernstein who was in the business Sid came up and they decided to form a management company and manage us well from that point now we entered into the real world of like you know marketing and so called you know put the name in the, in the New York Post and all those magazines and, and, and newspapers rather and uh, the record company started to come out so when, when, when Sid and Walter came on 
first of all, they doubled our salary. We were getting peanuts, you know. And he said, you know, guess who's bringing these people in? It's not the ship. It's these guys. And so, you know, everything changed. I, I was running the band at that time out of a book, you know, this business of music, which is a classic uh, for anybody who wants anything to do with contracts or, and, and I, I, I didn't know what to do, you know, basically. But when he came in, when Sid and Walter came in, that uh, the onus now became, okay, let's get him a record deal. You talk about it being a different era in the flaws of Sid relative to other people. What was good about Sid? And what did Walter add other than the connection? Well, at that time, Walter was the business uh, man, you know. Sid, Sid Bernstein, you know, who also has a book that's, uh, he was like the last of the kind of Mike Todd type of individuals. You know, he, he, he had a vision of what could be, you know, like, for example, when Bobby Fischer was in the chess world with Boris Spassky, I think people would like to see this. So he brought it to the United States. He saw the Beatles, brought it to the United States. You know, he saw actually karate and taekwondo, brought it to Madison Square Garden. He was a visionary in that capacity and that he could see, ah, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. You still got to pay the bills. <laughs> you still got to. You still got to feed the dog. You know what I'm saying? That's where he wasn't. See, he was. He was a visionary. You know, you take a risk. You know, one of the Sid Bernstein stories. Uh, you remember the Newport Jazz Festival, and then they had those riots. You know, I, I, I guess I could tell the story. Uh, when when they had the riots, the next year was canceled. So Sid says, "No, no, we got to resurrect this." He went out and borrowed money to make that thing happen the next year. Knowing he should have full well, he was going to lose a lot of money. But that was Sid. See, he, he, he was that kind of man. He had, he had a different kind of outlook on, on, on the world that was from a very, very sincere, uh, well, he wanted to please, you know, he wanted to entertain, you know, and, 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 and that was just Sid. Eight kids later. I have to ask, because of the legendary stories of uh, Colonel Tom Parker, do you remember what their percentage was? Uh, well, it changed because of the fact that he was a, he was a company prior to that. I, I don't remember, but it wasn't it wasn't obscene at, at all. Though we, we were fairly treated. I, I always felt we were. Fairly okay, so how do you end up at Atlantic Records? Certain people came through the door, wanted to sign us up. Uh, for example, Mister Specter came in, and uh, you know I, I had to really. I loved his music. I mean, you know, th what he did, you know, just, phew, you know, we just lost our dear friend there, Ronnie, you know, but I had to say, I say, look, guys, I, I don't want to go with Phil Spector. I, I don't want to be Phil Spectorized. What do you mean, man? I said, no, 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 no. I, I want to produce ourselves. Don't you understand? They like what they hear, these people. Let's do it ourselves. I know I can do this. You know, when I, when I was growing up, I heard this record called Money by Barrett Strong, I think it was, produced by Barry Gordy. What does that mean, produced? Oh, you mean you put it together? I could do that. I could do anything. So I wanted to be a producer. I, I, I just didn't want to go in there and have somebody tell me, you know what, you should sound like this. No, 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 no. This is what I want to sound like. You like it, don't you? It's good, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what, man. Let me do it. Atlantic was the only company that would allow us to do it. However, in the book, you testify ad infinitum about the greatness and power of a reef martin. Well, ask the Beatles about George Martin. You know, uh, again, you know, 
there's a definite divine nature to our world, whether we like it or not, you know. And uh, when things fall into your place and you go like, okay, this guy's really good. <laughs> I mean, when, when, when our, I knew who Tom Dowd was when he was in the room with us because I, you know, I saw his name on all the albums and all the singles that I bought my whole life, you know, the Drifters, the Coasters, you know, the Ravens, the, you know, Clyde McFadden. Tom Dowd, Tom Dowd, Tom Dowd. I knew him, but Arif Mardin, I didn't know. But it's kind of like, you know, when you have, when you have, um, like, for example, say, animals, you know, like, say, for example, horses, you know, and they put them all together, and then all of a sudden, this one dude gets, this horse gets up over there, and you go like, oh, my God, that's a hell of a horse over there, bro. This guy was just, I'm sorry, you know, I cried like a baby <laughs> when he passed. He was something. And you're working with him. You know, so what can you say? You know, I got an idea. Oh, how about this? Oh, I got an idea. What do you think about this? So I'm saying, did I die and did I die and go to heaven? I, I don't know. This is this is phenomenal working with this guy. Just phenomenal. You're saying, although with the reef giving you insight, that you actually produced all these uh, rascals records. Oh, we did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I I, I don't want to take credit all by myself, but you know, I, I didn't go home until uh, two or three in the morning. You know, while these guys were out. You know, no, no, I was there. I could tell you every dial, everything that they touched. Oh, you know, it's too much. I don't want that many highs on it. Yeah, I was there. I was interested from the first day. So we produced our own stuff. I mean, I say we because that's what the contract said. But I mean, I was there every step of the way. Enjoyed every moment of it. You know, in those days, we had uh, the unfortunate <laughs> a transition between mono and stereo. You know, so if anybody knows what it takes to mix a record, you know, in those days, we only had eight tracks. But still, it's it's... It's always tedious. We had to do it twice for each song. We had to do a mono and a stereo version. So, yeah, I was there the whole time. And, 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 and you know, I, I don't think there's a, a, seriously, a note that went on in any of our records that I wasn't totally aware of. So, the first album doesn't have any originals. Right. At the time, did you have any originals? How do you decide on the songs that were included in the first record? Well, that was pretty much our set. Uh, because in those days the club clubs demanded covers. They didn't want to hear any of your, you know, your your personal feelings or thoughts. You know, they they wanted, you know, these people are coming in here. I want them to dance. I want them to drink. They're not going to do that if they're listening to your music. I want them to rock and roll. You know, they they the aesthetic. That's not why we're hiring you. You know what I mean? So uh, they demanded covers. So what I had to do, basically, is is uh, we had a, a record store up in Nourishelle, New York. And, you know, in those days, you could go in, put on a set of headphones, put the needle down on the turntable, and stay as long as you wanted, you know? And I heard these songs. And then there was a couple of radio stations in New York, WLR, and, you know, uh, Jocko was on, and, you know, R&B stations. And they play these songs, you know? They play this song. They play this song, Mustang Sally. They played this song, Temptation's About to Get Me. Nobody ever heard those songs. They played this song, Good Lovin', unless you were in that neighborhood. I would go to the record store, buy it, and tell the proprietor, this is a cover, man. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I didn't make this up, see? That became our set. That's how we did our set. And, and, and it, 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 it's interesting because the, the accent that I bring to the table when we speak to the microphone nobody thinks i come from nashville tennessee they 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 know i'm not from here 
You know? Why? Well, because whatever I do covered it that way. Well, when we did songs that we thought we were doing the English version, it was not. It was the soul version. You know, it's just the way it came out. You know, it, it just was very interesting how, you know, we, 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 we made our music. And how did you find I Ain't Can Eat It Out My Heart Anymore? Well, that was a different story. Now Atlantic, you know, knew we didn't really, we hadn't really shown them any songs that we written because they, they, they signed us based on the nightclub act. They liked what they heard. And uh, so when we went to the label, they, 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 they went the normal route, which, as you know, from those days was to go to publishers. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, Beatles and Dylan and, you know, Spoonful, Birds, those people, even Birds, they went, they went, got songs from other people. That hadn't really evolved yet where you were, you know, like on your own writing. You know, that's one of the many, many, many gifts that the Beatles and people like Dylan gave us that, you know, like now, now you could, you know, express yourselves prior to that. They, not too many people were interested in what you had to write at all. So there was really no reason to do it except for your creative, you know, kind of juices. So yeah, with those songs are part of our set. Did you cut good loving and say, this is a hit? Or were you surprised when all of a sudden it became a monster? Well, we were surprised when it became a monster, but we weren't surprised when it came a hit. You know, the difference uh, a lot of times between then and now is that uh, you have an audience. Like, in other words, if I play a song and I've got like 100 people, 150 people, it's a record session here. Like, uh, what do you think? Well, if they go, yeah, you know, from the first time we played that song, people got up and danced. People got up and drank. People got happy. And, you know, to this day. So, you know, ah, this has got legs. This, this could happen. You know, because you see what, you know, you've got that instant reaction. It's like a comedian when he tells a joke. <laughs> Don't use this in the show, you know. <laughs> okay, the record is a monster. Yeah. You're all over the media. You have to make a second record. The second record is different because there are originals, and the originals are better than the covers, and they're the hits. <laughs> How do you end up writing songs all of a sudden? Well, you know, it's not all of a sudden. It's just that, you know, somebody up there likes me, you understand? So, you know, basically, you know, it, 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 when, you, when, you, when you open a door, you know, the, the smart thing to do is to go in and realize where that door came from. You know, so when that door opened up, you know, and it were a bunch of young, young, young guys, you know, that uh, just had a multi-million, whatever you want to call it. So you, said, you know what? We're going to kind of tell you what we want to do now. This is what we want to do. Big shots. Okay. Let's be specific. I've been lonely too long. Yeah. Is a monster that I've gotten into more in the 21st century than in the 20th century. There's a lot of stuff from that era that's dated. Oh, of course. This is not dated. How did you write such a good song so early in your writing career? Well, you know, uh, I mean, there's reasons, you know, behind the songs, you know, it, it, there's always reasons, which I, I find like, you know, the, the audiences out there really like to hear. But, you know, we, we have, uh, in, in that case, uh, a, a muse. You know, there was this young lady who came into my life and, uh, you know, uh, I wrote all those songs about that relationship until we got to How Can I Be Sure, where I wasn't sure that I was making the right move. Uh, you're inspired by, by people, by events, you know. And, and, and so, you know, how? You know, you know I, I don't even know what to say except for, you know, thank you. Okay, let's even go to the next record where you really, you know, become a monster. Yeah. <laughs> so are you saying 
that all these songs, like A Girl Like You, yeah. and How Can I Be Sure, and You Better Run, and Groovin' are all about this woman? No, You Better Run was about a different woman who drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this was all, yes, 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 positive. But you know, this is what I say in my show. But sometimes things are not so beautiful. And that's You Better Run. And Pat Benatar, of course, had the same... Same, same. Did you, how did you become aware of the Pat Benatar version when you first heard it, or did they reach out before? Oh, I think they they reach out before because you know there there is a publishing license and all that good stuff that they have to do. So they contacted contacted our attorneys and people said, and I said, yeah, man, oh wow, she's good. Let's let's do it. She is really good. She's very good. And she did a great job. Her husband, they, they, they really did a good job. Oh, absolutely. It was actually bigger than your version in terms of success. Well, what else is new? What else is new? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell us more about grooving. Well, grooving, you know, I mean, you know, this, this is, this is a, 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 a thing of perfect example of what I was alluding to in the beginning about the different answers. You know, o- over the years, you, you, you kind of create your story. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, uh, I mean, John Sebastian's got some great stories. You know, I, I can I digress for one 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 minute. Well, John John goes on stage and says, "When I was a boy, you know, my parents used to send me to camp, and uh, I got involved with these twins." And he picks up his guitar and goes, "Did you ever have to make up your mind?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, did that really happen? I guess so. New York is a, a bastion of Latin music. You know, uh, Latin music was present when I was at the Rolly Hotel. They they used to come up La Playa Sextet, uh, all these Latin bands, and that's kind of I heard it, man. And and not only that, but they were good bands. You know, I mean, we we would go to a show. You know, basically after that, and there would be a trio there or a quartet. When you go to a Latin show, it's a freaking orchestra man and these guys are popping well i had a lot of latin friends in the community and 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 it you know i just said wow you know let's how about we try something like this you know how about we try something like this and, and then there's a story as far as the lyric and, and that content which you know this has evolved over the years I, I don't know that this is what actually happened but i was working on friday and saturday nights the only time i could be with my loved one was sunday afternoon you know, I mean, there was no Friday and Saturday, and, I, and I've turned that into a whole shtick on stage, you know. I, I say, hey, you know, how many women like that? None, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it, it was an inspiration basically because that's the only time we had off, so to speak, was Sunday afternoon. You know, people go to the park and they bring the congas out and all that, you know, and that's grooving. Okay, I gotta ask. How did it end with that girl, and where is she today? Well, unfortunately, it, it, you know, the, the, the end of the story is never as good as the beginning and the middle, right? No, she married a friend of mine, and, and we, we didn't marry. As I say, I thought I, thought I had a, I thought I, 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 I was just enamored, you know, uh, and, and, and that's, that's why she was there, you know, and I really believe that. There's a, you know, a, a famous muse called Erato that, you know, uh, I learned the word from my crossword, puzzle days and I had a muse simple as that this this was an inspiration you know and and Eddie you know Eddie was there I mean Eddie you know he knew what I was talking about and you know what we were talking about and he did a great job of you know putting that story together you know 
it, it was better that he, you know, wrote those things with me because, you know, I get a little bit too serious sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And he, he was kind of like a flower, you know, I got to, you know, paint this lovely picture around here. Well, would you sit down like they do in Nashville and say, we're making an album, we need songs. How did you actually write the song? No, that didn't happen. You know, that didn't happen. Uh, you know, I, as, as I say, you know, I, I, I really, my, my work ethic was a lot different from Eddie's. <laughs> so I would bring the song, you know, I'd bring the song, bring the title, I'd bring the, you know, the music, the melody, you know, basically this is what this story is about. Can, can, can you help me out? Can you write over here, you know, and write? And then, you know, literally uh, uh, we, we get it together, you know, but we, nev we never really wrote together like that, you know, like the togetherness thing. In the beginning when we were in the studio uh and and it was kind of like a new world you know we, we we tried to basically collaborate and to you know have everybody's input put in you know uh, but it didn't work like that because you know that's one of the difficult things about production inside of a group you know somebody has to make a decision to say the word no you know and 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 that's tough when it's a, a so-called equal member of the royalty situation because no i don't want to use that song no I don't think you should play it like that. Someone has to be that 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 director, you know. And basically, you know, Arif's personality was not like, you know, he was a gentle guy, gentleman, you know. So, you know, it would come to me and in some cases me and him, but I'd always blame it on him. <laughs> <laughs> Can't use that. Can't do that. But that's that's how it was. I mean, I would bring the seed in. And you know, uh he unfortunately did, did his work ethic was was not the same you know he didn't he didn't really feel like uh you know we had an instance one time where um prior to jesus christ superstar uh a, a fellow from the from the broadway world said you know what we need a rock musical would you guys be interested in writing a rock musical and i said oh my god are you kidding me we'll be the first whether we flop or not the first the first you always remember the first and, you know, again, I would get myself in trouble. Eddie said, why, we don't work hard enough? You're gonna, you want to work harder? I said, don't, 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 don't you understand? You know, the encyclopedias, they're going to, the first, no, doesn't matter. See, so it was a different thing. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer... 
Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Now, in the book, you say that after that album, Groovin' Album, you end up in California, you go to Mexico, they start making a record without you, they put out the greatest hits album, Timepiece. Tell me what was really happening there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was really happening? Well, we were in uh, San Diego, and... Um, I had a fever. I wasn't feeling well. I had something going on in my body that shouldn't have happened. And so um, my road manager and myself, we decided, come on, let's take some time off. You know, I don't feel good, you know. And then right around that same period of time, I realized, you realize that I'm supporting a war effort here with my taxes? What the hell with this? Let's get out of here. You know, <laughs> I went to Mexico. We went to Acapulco. In those days, it was safe to go to Acapulco. You know, you could go in and go out, Zihuatanejo. And uh, really what happened up north in, in, in the, in the, is that Sid, he made a mistake. You know, Sid goes, oh, my God, what are we going to do without Felix? <laughs> you know? So the other guy said, harumph. What do you think we are, chopped liver? I mean, what do you think? You know, and they revolted. See, and they called up Arif and Atlantic said, we're going in without him. So anyway, unfortunately, nothing happened in the studio. <laughs> so Atlantic says, how about if we do a greatest hits? Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I was coming back. I, I was all right. You know, I was just, you know, you know, just kind of like. Feeling my oats a little bit, that's all. How long were you in Mexico? I don't even know. Three, <laughs> not that long. You know, a couple of months probably. You know, we just, you know, we just did, we just kind of, you know, I, I remember it vividly. I mean, I had so much fun, you know, because we were trying to attempting Spanish, you know. So, so I was a little, I was not that healthy. I was a little well, and we'd go to the beach, and I'd say to my road guy, Andy, I said, So what happened down? He says, Well, I don't know. I think I, I think I got a connection, but I'm not sure whether we're buying it from them or they're buying it from us. <laughs> Okay, you mentioned earlier, and also in the book, there's a lot about the Swami. Yeah. Expand upon that, because most people don't know that. Well, you know, uh, the, the interesting thing in those days, uh, again, we, we 
go back to the fact that the Beatles were, 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 were this light that kept turning people on to different things. One of the things they were turning us on to was, was the yoga, was the spiritual world, you know. I really didn't need to be turned on to the spiritual world because I came from a very spiritual family. I mean, my mom, you know, rest her soul, was was very, very religious human being, and so it was always around us. Someone gave me a book. Uh, it was called uh, Autobiography of a Yogi by this Paramahansa Yogananda. And, 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 and when I read the book, when I started reading the book, it, it's the same thing as when I heard Alan Freed. It's the same thing as when I heard the organ player. I just got immersed in this world that in, in those days, and, and, and this is not that long ago, I mean, in terms, it was in, in the 20th century in, in, uh, in India, that I, I, um, a monk would go through in their lives. Their lives are totally different from ours. I mean, you know, they, they have this thing called sannyas, which is, uh, you know, you, you decide or you're decided by your caste or, I don't know, in some cases I'm sure it's not just caste, that you should be a, a monk, you should be a priest. So what they do is they, they, they give up everything. They give up their names. They give up their wealth. They give up anything that they may have. They're even not supposed to have a, a wife or anything like that in, in the beginning. They're supposed to put on a yellow or orange robe and go out into the, you know, world with a bowl. And in those days, the, the you know, the, the people would see a, a, you know, person in a robe, they'd invite him in the house. And they'd give him food. They'd give him rest. They'd give him, and what, what they would ask in return is called satsang, which means at the end of the meal, I want to hear your wisdom. So you know when somebody was, you know, jive because they had nothing to say. But if somebody was real, you know, you were very fortunate because you brought a holy man into your house and, you know, there's a blessing that goes with that and there's certainly a lot of wisdom that goes with that. So I'm reading about this world and I said, wow, look, whoa, hello, you know. And at the end of the book, there's a sentence that says, if you want a teacher, guru, ask and you shall receive. And this is where the story gets really interesting. And again, this is in the book. But this gentleman by the name of Steve Paul had this place in New York called The Scene. And The Scene was a place where um, a lot of people went. Jimi Hendrix went there, and Tiny Tim was a major staple there, and Jose Feliciano was there. It was a really cool place, but it was small. And every once in a while, Steve would, you know, run into some financial difficulties. He ended up managing the Winters brothers, John and Edgar, you know. And uh, he would call us up and say, come on, you guys come down and do a freebie on me, man, I, I need to, you know. And of course, you know, Velvet Underground used to play there, you know. Uh, so he's doing this television show, you know, uh, pilot for WNEW. And he said, would you guys come down and, you know, be part of the show? He called up Sid, you know, and he said, of course, why not? I walk in the door, you know, and got my entourage with me, big stars, whatever, and I see a guru sitting on the floor with a circle around him. I said, okay. That started it. I just said to my roadmaster, I said, hold this. I will be right back. And I got online to meet him. And I met him.
you know, and and it was a major, major, major experience, you know, and I, and I have this again in the book, you know, because this is this is what I wanted to write about instead of the litigation and all that stuff, you know. So how extensive did you get into it and what did you ultimately learn from the guru? Well, you know, I don't get into many things like when I see a pool, I don't I don't just put my foot in it. I, I'm one of these guys. I dive right in. You know what I mean? I'm there. I got very involved. I spent a, a, a good amount of my life. Uh, you know, the, the interesting part is why you, you go there in the beginning you know um i had a number of reasons that um brought me to him you know uh be, first of all you know i lost my mom you know uh, when she, when i was 13 i couldn't really figure that out you know and and you know you go to the rabbi you go to the priest you know some, some can, can anybody help me out here man you know i need a little help i needed somebody to how come this happened to a very spiritual lady. And I say, as a joke, but my dad, he, he went to church when it was raining because it was dry inside, you know? So, <laughs> but <laughs> it, I couldn't compute that, you know? That, that, so I needed, I needed some spiritual guidance, you know, some, can you tell me what this is all about, man? Because I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, and, and then, you know, you, you, you also, you've you got to be careful, you know, with, 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 with the, the, the drugs that are out there. You know, you, you, could, you could really lose your, your brain, you know, and, 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 and all this is all around us, of course, because I remember one time we went to California and we met the Smothers Brothers, <laughs> you know, we almost didn't return alive, you know. I mean, these guys out in California, that, that's a whole different world of, you know, fun and games, you know, going out there, you know, and, and, and average white band, the drummer didn't even get back. He did the first trip out there, he, he overdosed. So I, I, need, I, I said, no, I, I I wasn't brought up like this, you know what I mean? And then there's a third thing, you know, basically, which is, you know, again, from my family, you know, families, you know, they, they used to really influence their kids, you know what I mean? They used to, well, they still do, but I mean, in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> my dad said, uh, he says, I'll tell you what, you want to be a musician? I'll tell you what. But you see in front of my office here, I got that sign. I'm a doctor or a dentist until I resign. You better keep having hit records, dude, because as soon as you stop, you gone, you out of here. And boy, was that right. You don't make a couple of hit records for a record company. Did I, did, did I, do I know you? You know, <laughs> weren't you that? Uh, and you know, when that comes and, and you say, like, holy God, I mean, this is right, man. You know what? You got to keep doing this, don't you? Oh, yeah. You know, you don't think about that when you, you know, when you first meet her. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> first meet her, you say, like, wow, this is going to be, and then you say, like, wait a minute. Anyway, it was, it was it, again, this is all in the book. I, I kind of had like, you know, a rude awakening to the reality of the world. You know, people like Sam and Dave, people like that at the label, you know, they said, hey, hey, hey kid, come over, come over here. Let me talk to you, bro. Don't, don't, don't you understand, man? You, you, you got to stop smiling, man. This ain't a game out here. I, I, oh, 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 it's not. Yeah, no, wake up. I woke up. <laughs> Let's go a little bit deeper into the catalog. Tell us a story on people got to be free. Oh, well, this story, you know, is, is, is really because of Bobby Kennedy, you know. Uh, I was working, uh, we were working for his campaign. I was very, very involved with, you know, I, I really wanted to, you know, we really wanted to change the world in our day. You know, we, we really gave it our best shot. You know, we, we wanted to bring people the exact opposite of where we are right now with this, this horror that's going on both within the United States and within Europe and Russia. You know, we, we didn't want that. We want to st stop all this. Peace, love, joy, happiness. 
the golden rule, come on, you know, uh, the Messiah doesn't come till we all have it together. So let, let's get it together. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what, what is it? We were really, really, really into that. Well, I was seeing this young lady who uh, was at the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. She was there in Los Angeles. And I was, in, I was, I had a shortwave radio. I was in Jamaica. I was taking a little hiatus and, and, and I heard this and man, it just, Wow, Martin Luther King, now this, oh man, I've got to say something, got to do something. And that's how people got to be free started. It started as a kind of like a, you know, okay, fun and games, fun and games. I just want to say something. Let's do this. And it came out of my hands. It came out, you know, and Atlantic said, no, no. You don't want to do this. <laughs> I said, what do, you, what do you mean? There's nothing in there. There's a golden rule. It's just very simple. No, no. You, you, you don't want to get involved in, in anything. Wexler, rest his soul. Oh, my God. Phew. I mean, he, he was something. I don't know if you ever had a chance to meet him or interview him, but he was quite a man. I mean, those those, those early record executives, they were something else. And Oh, yeah. He would pop the nitroglycerin in the middle of an argument. Shut up. Listen to me. Quit. Shut up. And he, you know, because <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> great man, great great people. So how'd you convince them to put it out? We were in charge, man. We we had we had we had a phenomenal contract in terms of uh, control. We were the producers. We were where the buck stopped, you know. And and they couldn't really overrule us as far as like contractually. That's written. We had free studio time. Think of that. Yeah, we go in there and camp out, man, and make our product. And. Uh, you know, it was it was it was Wonderland. It really was, and 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 then of course, you know, like so we ruined it. That's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> let's ruin it. <laughs> so ultimately, the hits dry up. Now, to what degree is that because you don't have a muse? And what does it feel like when the hits dry up? Well, you know, it, it's scary to say the least. You know, because. Uh, you know, you, you you turn around and say, "Well, how come you know we we won the pennant last year, and you know we're we're in fourth or fifth place this year? Is there any reason that we could rectify? You know, uh, and you try to rectify it, and, and there's a lot of reasons. You know, some are internal, some are external. You know, the uh, the the onus of the record company has a lot to do with what type of priority they're going to give your product. You know, uh, we were the first wide act on Atlantic." We were the first band on Atlantic. We were the first challenge, or that's the wrong word, not challenge, the first uh, inclusive group that had anything to do with the uh, uh, British invasion. We were there first. Okay, now, oh, we got Aretha now. Oh, okay, we got, you know, it fill in the blank. Now the priority goes to a different place. Not only that, but the internal strife that was happening, it, it did not preclude them saying, we're going to put, you know, X million dollars into this group because they, they're really dysfunctional right now. They're, they're, not, they're not really doing, they're not firing on all cylinders. So when they take that, that you know, that publicity uh, promotional uh, fund, for want of a better word, you know, a lot of people don't know what used to happen. I don't know if it still happens in record companies. They have a meeting every Monday and they decide your fate. This record's stopping right now. We're not putting any more money in it. Well, your record's gone, man. That's it. You're done. We don't know about that. You know, we think, you know, the audience likes it, so they buy it. No, no. That's, that's very naive. That's not what's happening out there. You know, and, you know, you, you know 
better than everybody what it's all about now it's just it's a different world and uh, i i have my own theories about that started after woodstock you know when the corporations came in and said ha there's gold in them there hills and then that did it you know that beautiful event changed uh you know okay well we'll create a group why not you know we don't have to use god's word we'll just do our own we'll put our you know famous guys together and get an all-star team sometimes it doesn't work but anyway, uh, so, it, you know, those are part of the transitions that most, you know, people in, in our industry have to face, you know, whether you're a fighter or whether you're an entertainer or you're a musician, you know, you're going to hit a point where, okay, you know, the young guys, they probably, it's probably this, their, their world now, you know, they're taking over. What should I do? Well, that's where your guru comes in. Because when I first met him, I told him a similar story, although it was about, you know, like they're, they're producing hit records in a row rather than, you know, disappearing from the face of the earth. And, and he said to me these words that, you know, he said, how old are you? And I was in my 20s, early 20s, fairly, you know, and he said, well, you found out about this way before most people who find out that the whole, and I'm using my English instead of his because he would never use my words, but the whole thing's a crock. I don't care if you're a lawyer, a doctor, you know, you'd name it. You just found out earlier. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's the world. The world. Come with me. Come over here. Join this team. We don't experience that over here. Ah, okay. So I was ready for it. When the ship started to sink and when it went down, I was ready for it. So as the decades ensued, the Swami helped you cope? Or did you say, hey, I, I still have it. I, want, I got it. I want my chance. I want to have another hit. Well, you know, uh, that, that's, you asked some great questions, man. Because, you know, when you get involved with a, with a guru, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really a commitment on two, two sides, his side and your side. He doesn't just say, yeah, sign him up. You know what I mean? They, they take a commitment on that's very, 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 very deep. It's eternal. They're kind of responsible for your karma from that point on. That's a big statement. And when we on the other side get involved with them, we go into a place that you really never leave. Because, you know, I, I, I pray in Sanskrit, in Hindu, I, 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 I know the language, you know, I, 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 my whole life, uh, you know, style is, is to just purify my, my mind and my body as much as I can, you know, and still be part of the world, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's me, that's what he made. You know, there's there's a theory, I, I, I don't know if it's correct in terms of numbers, but every 12 years, every cell in your body changes. It's reborn. It's regrown. The idea is to be with a guru for 12 years. Every cell of your body has been infected in with, you know, his grace, whatever you want to call it. So your whole body is like, I'm a yogi. I'm a yogi. You know, I, I mean, you know... <laughs> I, I, it's real interesting. I, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but, you know, this is who I am. So, you know, he, he prepared us, you know, like, for example, like your physical body. Now, I'm close to 80, you know, and, and I learned, you know what, man, if you, if you take care of your body and you take care of your mind, I can still sing. 
you know, I can still swim, man. I can still walk. I can still, you know, thank you. Because that's what it's about. If you do the exercises mentally, physically, keep your, you're going to be okay. But if you don't, chances are, you know, the genetics are going to take over your DNA and your RNA and, and you're, you're going to start hurting, man, in, in later life. So, you know, I, I owe a lot to that, that uh, education. Okay, going back to the mundane, mundane from the ethereal, how'd you hook up with Laura Nero and what was she <laughs> really like? Well, okay, everybody's familiar with the name David Geffen? Of course. David Geffen... Introduced me to her. And what happened basically is... Well, let's start from the beginning. How'd you know David Geffen? Well, David Geffen... <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. That's so cool. David Geffen was part of, a, of an agency called... I think it was GAC. And, you know, I, he, he invited... He, he wanted to sign the rascals to his agency. We, we were with a different agency. We were with ABC. So he, he, he got in touch with me and he invited me to his office. And, and that's when I realized that I, I was dealing with a business genius. Because before I walked out of the room, he had me completely convinced that I should be, we should be with his agency. And then he left a week later. <laughs> so I realized, wow, this guy. Just to be clear, did you switch? I switched, but he was gone. See, he was so good, obviously. You know, you don't get to that state, you know, in the world because, you know, somebody, you know, unless you inherit it. He's a smart guy, man. Really smart. But I mean, I, he said, how would you like to meet the most difficult person you've ever met? I said, wow, what do you mean? He says, well, I manage Laura Nero and she needs a producer. She really likes your music. Would you be interested? I love to produce. I said, of course. Yes. Little did I know I was going to fall in love from my head to my toe with one of the most charming, you know, eccentric, talented human beings on earth. What, what, what a gift that was. So what was it like working with her? What was she like? She's a Bronx girl. You know what I mean? I mean, she would, she would have, you know, she would, she would dangle, dangle a cigarette out of her mouth, and if she didn't like what you said, she'd hit you. (laughs) She was fantastic. You know, I mean, I've said it so many times. I have never met a purer artist in my life. You know, she could care less about sales. She could care less about publicity. She wanted what she heard, what she envisioned. I hear it like this. I want to record it like this. And that's, that's really the, the rub here. That's the interesting part of this is because, you know, there's certain rules uh, unwritten uh, that, uh, you know, the radio stations are not going to play this song if you do this. Don't stop and go. You know, especially in the AM days, you know, don't change keys like that. Uh, don't, don't go like this and then pick up, you know. But she did all that. You know, and, you know, Clive and the people at the label say, what are you doing? You can't do this. And and she just, that's what I hear. So Fifth Dimension, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, the Three Dog Night, they say, okay, we're going to take out all that. And we got number one record. You know, and they did. They had number one after number one with her songs because the songs were brilliant, absolute genius. So, you know, I, I really don't know what, what else I can say, but I never met anybody like that. I never will meet anybody like that. Were you around when she split from Geffen? Yeah. 
What was that like? Well, you know, I, that's an interesting story, you know. You know, I, I mean, you, you have to be really careful when you talk about, like, this, these cult people like Laura and even monkeys. Their audience is very sensitive, very sensitive. You can't say anything neg negative. But I just, I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying like this. If somebody's going to screw me and make me a millionaire at the same time, I may not be too angry. <laughs> okay, that puts a bow on it. Yes. Let's, move, let's move back to you. So in the time you have left, somewhere between a minute and 25 years, anything you want to do, anything you need to do, anything you want to accomplish? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 I recently, um, you know, uh, did a symphony with my music that I loved. You know, I mean, that, that was fun. And I, I'd like to crack into that a little more because I had these fantastic charts done, you know, and, uh, you know, Frankie uh, Valley, you know, he does them all the time, you know, and, and, and the night that I did it, I did it. We have a fantastic symphony here in Nashville. You know, this is one of the best, you know, the musicians here really want to be here, you know what I mean? Because they can also work during the day and do sessions, stuff. They make good money here. We got a Anyway, when I did that, Frankie texted me just before the show and he said, you're never going to want to do anything else, man. I'm paraphrasing, but this is it. You're going you're gonna to freak. And it was just like, oh, my God, you know? And all the emotions running through me. I mean, wow, you know? Ha, this is how I started, you know, with symphonic, you know, desires or whatever. Did, wow. It was fun. That, that's the only world I really, really w would want to crack that I really haven't been able to crack into as much as I'd like to. Now, frequently, when, uh, when people age, they get a victory lap. Jeff Beck had a victory lap. Joni Mitchell now has an unending victory lap. Not that these people don't deserve it. Do you feel ripped off that you haven't quite gotten your victory lap as an older <laughs> statement who's really, you know, made their impact upon the musical world? Well, the victory lap in terms of, uh, you know, like, uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, stairs to that you know basically one of them is of course financial you know uh and second of all is like uh, you know your name in the world or your your position in the world yeah you know but but not 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 like that you know i mean you know the 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 the, the interesting thing is that about oh god i'm trying to think time now around 2018 uh PC, as they say, pre-COVID, you know. Right, right. We're back when the world was open. I went to uh, Hawaii uh, uh, on a, doing one of my Fearless Cavalry Rascal shows. And, you know, it's interesting. And, and, and if I'm taking too long with these answers, please tell me. Because no, 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 no. This is what I want. Absolutely. Roll on. Rascals were immense in Hawaii for a number of reasons. Uh, the simplest way to say is that, is that we were the closest thing they could get to R&B for a lot of reasons. Uh, I don't know if people know, but, you know, in Hawaii, there's a lot of reasons. You know, uh, we were the closest thing. So these DJs that were out there and these people, Tom Moffat was his name and this gentleman named The Beard, made us Beatles. They adored us. And I said, this is great. Let's, the hell with the rest of the world. Let's just be famous here, you know, because this is, this is nice. Well, one of the things that we did in those days is... Uh, we were, we were invited to go to the other islands, the outer islands. Now, 
the problem was that in the outer islands, there were no stages, there were no theaters. I mean, these people were doing sugar cane and pineapple and just small little things. So, okay, well, we'll do free concerts. We're going to invite all, all of the, you know, the, the Hawaiians that want to come and the people who live there. And uh, we're going to do it free in, in uh, just set us up in a park. Okay, now we turn the clock back, I mean, forward, what, 60 years? Now, people who are now established, elderly, is one case this fellow has a candy factory and makes that famous macadamia candy. They come to the show and they say, when I was 16, I'll never forget you guys. And here you are. And I said, yeah. He says, let me ask you, is there any way you could bring the guys together one more time? One more time. And I said, you know what? At some point in life, you got to start, put the axe and the hatchet and the, the arrows down. You got to say, hey, you know what, man? Why not? Why don't we do three or four shows? We do Los Angeles. We do New York. We do Chicago. And we do Maui, Oahu. And then we go home. You know, what, what is it? Three to five shows? You know, say goodbye to our friends. Say goodbye to our fans. So... I go back home, I call up, you know, I call up Bobby, my manager. I said, what do you think? And he said, look, you know, I thought we weren't allowed to say that word around here. What word? Rascals. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, you're, you're right. We're not allowed to say that word around. I understand, you know, but uh, what do you think? He said, look, I'll tell you what, get on the phone, call the guys, see what happens. Well, I'm still in court. Because <laughs> I called up Eddie. I said, Eddie, what, what do you think, man? I scared the hell out of him. You know, yeah, what do you want, man? I said, well, you know, what do you think? Do three or four shows, go out there and just, you know, rock and roll for something. He says, well, I'm sorry, man. I, I got a commitment. You know, I got a commitment with Steve Van Zandt. You know, I, I can't do it. I said, you sure? Yes, yeah. I said, yeah. I right, remember I called you. And I called Gene. Now, Gene, Gene... He's ready to go. That's one thing I got to say about Gene Cornish in those days. I mean, he's unfortunately not too well now. He wanted to work. He adored the stage. He made a, a, a pact with his mom when she took him to a, an early concert in Rochester. That's what I want to do. I want to be up there, man. I, and he really wants to be up there. He loves it. It's part of his, that's, that's, that's Gene. He, he exists, has no family, no wife, no kids. He's a musician and he wants to be on the, and, 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 and Dino, you know, again, you know, I, I just try to try to put him back in the, in the, it, come on, let's go to work, man. Let's, let's, let, why, let, let's, do, and, and that was unfortunate. That was really unfortunate the way that that turned out because it didn't turn out well, you know, Gene said yes, everybody else said no. And so it just didn't happen, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, uh, I, I'm really going, you know, very carefully through the, uh, I'm tiptoeing through the tulips here because I had to be careful, but basically, you know, what it is is, come on, man, we're almost 80 friggin' years old. What the hell are we going to do, man? Let's just go out and have some fun and make some money. Oh, God forbid we make some money. Wow. She's, wow, it is very disappointing. I, I mean, I'm so disappointed with these guys that uh, just, you know, they don't realize what they have and what they mean to people and how many people really adore the group, love it, 
It's part of their it's part of their youth. Well, you've been able to survive both on royalties from uh, songwriting and records, etc. Have the other guys been able to survive all these years? Yes and no. Yes, meaning Eddie was a writer. The other two guys, not really. You know, they they had a tough time. But you know, you you also um, have to pay attention. You know. Yeah, more more than ever today. I mean, like I say, you know, when you get a check, don't don't spend the whole check. You know what I mean? When your advisors tell you, you know, you can't afford that horse. Uh, you shouldn't get a Rolls. You know, if you do it, you know, at the time, you're going to be very happy, but not for long because tomorrow is right around the corner, you know? And so that's basically, you, you got to pay attention, you know? We had advisors and you got to listen to the advisors. So what are you most proud of at this point? Oh, just the fact that I'm still doing it, you know, and, you know, I just, you know, I get a chance to seriously be around people like you, you know, because I remember when we first met, you know, I did that. Yeah, I, I just really enjoy what I do, you know, and, 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 and it's like anything else. I mean, you know, I try to tell my kids all the time, it's not all, you know, flowers and all that, but, you know, you got you to gotta, you deal with it. But if you're doing something that you really love all your life, there's really not too much to complain about, you know? I mean, seriously, you could complain, but nobody listens. Well, one thing, none of us are going to live forever, but these songs are going to live forever. Yeah. And that's a very cool thing. It and is. certainly it is. they live forever within me. So, Felix, taking thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. Well, I knew it was going to be fun, man. I, and, 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 and I really uh, hope you realize how much I, I'm kind of a fan because I, I listened to you and I, I really enjoyed meeting you way back then. And, and I did again today. Thank you so much. Well, as I say, I have a lot more questions we'll have to do in person sometime. But, you know, I don't want to burn out the audience completely. But... Thanks again. This was great. I enjoyed every moment of it, and thank you. And oh, I just got to say, before Hobby gets mad at me, FelixCavalieriMusic.com, that's where the book is. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> and the book comes out what day? March 22nd. Okay. So people, especially in today's day where you can buy it online or in your store, it's fully available. It's on the audience. just have to make that effort. And as I say, it's really a whole tale not just for hardcore Rascals fans, although everybody from our generation really was. So, till next time, this is Bob Lefsex. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.